0: to be with you, Miranda.
1: You have to have the toughest job in government. Today, the Greens were there in question time attacking you for so-called paltry emissions reduction targets. And yet your critics say that you are putting reduced emissions ahead of cutting power prices. Which is it?
0: Well, our priority is to reduce power prices. And what we have seen is the wholesale power price come down by around 30%. Uh, this year compared to the same period last year. We've seen from the ACCC uh, large gas users, they are the big employers across the economy, have seen a up to 50% drop in the gas contracts that they're signed. And now consumers across New South Wales, Queensland and South Australia will see a household and business electricity bills come down from July 1. And just today, uh, PowerShop, a growing retailer, Uh, across uh, New South Wales and Queensland, announced that for small business customers in south-east Queensland, there'd be a drop of more than 14%, uh, and in New South Wales, more than 8%, as well as significant drops for families and and households. So we are uh, turning the corner on price. We're through the worst of it, and our reforms and our plan is working.
1: But we've gone from having almost the cheapest energy in the world back a decade ago to now the most expensive. Isn't your National Energy Guarantee effectively a carbon tax?
0: Absolutely not. I've never heard of anything uh, so ridiculous. Uh, what the National Energy Guarantee is, is the integration of energy and climate policy designed to bring stability to the investment climate so that the big uh, companies that in, that build the power plants, be they thermal generators like coal or gas or renewable farms like wind and solar have some certainty about the climate in which they're investing in, because they're making 30 and 40-year bets. And by providing that level of certainty, we'll see more supply, and more supply means lower prices. We're also putting a premium on stability in the system, because the big mistake of South Australia Miranda was that they had huge amounts of wind and solar without the necessary backup and storage as well as having the closure of their only coal-fired power plant. That saw wholesale prices increase dramatically and we don't want to repeat that bad experiment gone wrong in South Australia. So the National Energy Guarantee will reduce power prices, will increase stability, as well as ensuring we meet our international commitments.
1: Well, I know you do talk about satisfying that so-called trilemma, uh, the three legs to the stool, cheaper energy, reliable energy, lower emissions, but In your policy, the fine on energy retailers who do not meet their emissions reductions obligations is $100 million, while the fine for not meeting their reliability requirements is just $10 million. So if something has to give, I know which fine I would choose, and it's not the emissions one.
0: Well, what you haven't taken into account there, Miranda, is that if a company was to meet to, to miss its reliability requirements as set down by the Australian energy market operator, not only would they be fined that $10 million, but they would also be made to pay up the gap that the Australian energy market operator would require to procure itself in the market to ensure the stability of our system. So there is effectively a double whammy there for those companies, those energy retailers that don't meet the reliability requirements. But I foresee a situation where there is strong compliance. We'll have a cop on the beat, which is the Australian Energy Regulator. The Australian Energy Market Operator will also be active. And I'm confident that with these new obligations on the retailers, we'll get the investment that we need in the places we need, when we need it, to ensure a more stable and affordable energy system.
1: But why isn't it the same fine for reliability as it is for emissions? Why is it $100 million for failing on emissions and only $10 million for failing on reliability?
0: Well, like I said, with the reliability, it's not just there is the fine. There's also the financial penalty that comes with AMO having to procure in the market these additional resources. And those resources will have to be met Uh, and the cost of meeting those resources will have to be met by that retailer that didn't uh, comply with its obligations. Uh, What we foresee in this situation is strong compliance. It's not prioritising emissions over reliability. Far from it. It's saying we need a more reliable system into the future, and as a result of that, we'll get lower prices and better consumer outcomes.
1: Now, over the weekend, you had Coalition elder statesman Ian McFarlane and Ron Boswell urging your government to facilitate the entry of new coal-fired power stations by covering off risks for the private sector and also creating an open tender for new supply. Are these things that you would consider?
0: Well, I would welcome a new coal-fired power station for our country because it supplies reliable baseload power and it served us well in the past and will continue to serve us well in the future. You have to remember, Miranda, currently 70% of our supply in the national electricity market comes from coal. That is well above what you see in the United States or in Germany or the UK or other comparable jurisdictions. Uh, Under the National Energy Guarantee, the reliability that coal provides to the system will be valued, and it's much more likely to be staying in the system under the National Energy Guarantee than not. And we have 20 coal-fired power stations in Australia today with an average life of 27 years. So while they may not live forever, they will certainly live longer than that 27 years. And the National Energy Guarantee will provide that level of stability for the investors and the owners of those assets.
1: You now have also backbenchers like Tony Abbott threatening to cross the floor over this policy. I just want to play for you some audio of a press conference from August 2015, which is when Tony Abbott announced Australia's Paris commitments.
0: We have come to a position as a government that our 2030 emissions reduction target uh, will be uh, in the range of 26 to 28 per cent. Uh, There's a definite commitment to 26%, but we believe under the policies that we've got, uh, with the circumstances that we think will apply, that we can go to 28%. This is fairly and squarely uh, in the middle of comparable economies. So this is a good, solid result. Uh, It's a good, solid, economically responsible, environmentally responsible target.
1: Well, that sounds like a pretty firm commitment, Josh Frydenberg. Does it annoy you that you are being criticised for those emissions reduction commitments which Tony Abbott made, and yet he is leading a ginger group which could derail your policy that demanding that we pull out of Paris?
0: Well, I continue to work very closely and constructively with all my colleagues, and they're entitled to their views. But what we have in the National Energy Guarantee for the first time is a policy designed by the experts backed by business with support from the states and economic modelling that will show that prices will fall and reliability will increase that to me sounds like a very durable long-term solution for australia so i really look forward to my discussions with craig kelly with tony abbott with my other colleagues to try and work through maybe some of the differences that there are uh, recognizing that the national energy guarantee is not the only solution to Australia's energy challenges. It's one of the solutions, it's an important one, but it builds on the other work that we've done to rein in the power of the networks, to provide more transparency with the retail offerings, to build Snowy 2.0, to get more gas into the domestic market before it's exported overseas. they the policies that we have. The policies are working, prices are coming down, and I'm hopeful that the neck will become a reality.
1: But you're not going to be able to get prices down to the, the cheapest in the world as they were and keep on going, you know, low-cost coal-fired power that underpinned our prosperity. We're not going to be able to get back to that while we're trapped into the Paris Treaty. And Tony Abbott is right to say that circumstances have changed. Uh, it is true now that Donald Trump has pulled the US out of Paris and that could be an excuse for us to do the same. Wouldn't that ease the pressure on you if you said, look, we're we're still committed to reducing emissions, but not quite right now?
0: Well, there's a lot of of comments that you've just made that need to be unpacked. The first, Miranda, is that historically, you're right, coal has been a low-cost source of power, but that's because the assets were originally state-built, so you didn't pay it through your electricity bills, you paid it through your taxes, Uh, and those assets have been depreciated over time. And so, therefore, their cost, and particularly the Victorian coal-fired power stations, which are built near uh, the the coal mines with low-cost brown coal as opposed to more expensive black coal, have been a low-cost source of energy. But they won't continue forever. Um, And certainly new coal-fired power stations are more expensive than existing coal-fired power stations.
1: But why wouldn't you subsidise new coal power stations?
0: Well, we are in the business, obviously, of ensuring good market outcomes. And I believe the National Energy Guarantee will send the right investment signals to those who want to build assets, whether they are coal, gas or renewable. And that that's my second point, which is whether you like the Paris Agreement or not, we do live in a carbon-constrained environment in the sense that those businesses that fund these new assets, that actually through the banks or through other sources of funding these assets, they do factor in political and climate risk. And the Hazelwood power plant saw 14 different prime ministers over its time. A normal coal-fired power station, Miranda, will live for 50 or 60 years. While we hope the Turnbull government will be in power that long, no investor will make that assumption. So they are looking to changes of government. They are looking to changes of technology. They're looking to changes in the cost structures of their capital. And therefore, they have to make long-term bets. And I'm really confident that given that we need $250 billion worth of energy infrastructure in Australia between now and 2050, and no government can pay that, I'm really confident that the National Energy Guarantee will provide an investment framework which will see the market working better than it does today.
1: Now, you've organised some business and industry heads to come tomorrow to speak to the coalition backbench. How's that going to go? Well,
0: those companies uh, and those industry groups, the National Farmers Federation, the Australian Industry Group, the Business Council of Australia, uh, the Minerals Council of Australia, Blue Scope and BHP, they represent, you know, millions of workers. So their voices should be heard. They're big energy users, and, of course, they've done the due diligence on this proposed policy. And from their public statements to date, they strongly support it. And I say to my colleagues, if we can't listen to these companies and these industry groups now after a decade of missteps in the energy policy space, when can we listen to them? They're telling us we've got to get this done, and that's what I'm determined to see
1: happen. But do you think that your colleagues are going to listen to you? Do you think that they are going to go along with the energy?
0: Well, it's not about me. It's about the national interest. And it's even not about the coalition government. It's about the economy and the country as a whole. This is much bigger than us. The consumers of Australia Miranda deserve a lot better than they've been served up by their political class when it comes to energy policy over a decade. People are sick of the hyper-partisanship. People are sick of the mistruths. They want the facts and they deserve lower prices and a more reliable system.
1: Mm, The Wall Street Journal ran a piece over the weekend saying that 30 years on from the IPCC and James Hansen testimony about catastrophic global warming, that none of those predictions have come true, that there's been no rise in global temperature since 2000. So everything we're doing is kind of pointless.
0: Well, Australia is just 1.3% of the world's emissions. So we can't solve this issue ourselves. But globally, countries that make up less than 2% of the world's emissions make up around 40% of the emissions overall. And the advice from our scientists, uh, who are a lot more equipped to deal with these issues, dare I say it, than you and I, Miranda, their advice is that the climate is warning and man is contributing to it. So we have a responsibility to adopt the precautionary principle, but to do so in a way that doesn't damage our economy and it doesn't send prices up. And that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Well, I hope you're right, Josh Frydenberg. A lot resting on your shoulders. Good luck with it.
0: Thanks, Miranda.
1: All the best. That's the Energy Minister, Josh Frydenberg.